Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, this is Dr. Lee Lindquist, Chief of Geriatrics at Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. And today I'll be discussing COVID-19 and seniors, frequently asked questions. So over the past two months, um, I've been caring for a lot of patients with COVID, especially older adults my oldest one being 99 years old. And what we're seeing is that COVID is definitely out there, definitely affecting people and definitely causing a lot of questions among primary care providers. So I'm gonna be answering your questions. So first question, how does COVID-19 compare to influenza each year among seniors? So my answer to that is COVID is so much worse. For my clinics, for my long-term care experiences, more older adults seem to be dying from COVID and they're dying quicker. So when you think about the flu, from October 19, 2019 to early April 2020, the flu has killed an estimated 24,000 to 62,000 people in the United States, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. If you look at COVID, COVID has already killed over 62,000 people, and it is only three months in since hitting the United States. And when you look at averages, even if the flu kills 62,000, which is the estimated high end, uh, 62,000 people between October 1st and April 4th, that means that the U.S. has had an average of about 330 flu deaths a day, the rate. Now at the flip side, when you look at coronavirus, coronavirus has already killed more than 62,800 people in the United States with the first known death in February through the end of April. So from February 6th through April 30th, an average of more than 739 people died per day from coronavirus in the U.S. So there's a much higher death rate with COVID than there is with influenza. And the main reason why COVID is so deadly and has been causing so much problems is that there's this asymptomatic phase. And this asymptomatic phase, I'm sure you're seeing in your practices, has been what's really frustrating and has been a huge issue. So with the flu, I'm sure many of you guys out there have had the flu. You know what it's like. Uh, you know when you have the flu. Uh, within one to two days, you're having severe symptoms. You want to just stay in bed and just sleep and drink some fluids. The incubation stage is very short with influenza. When you look at COVID, you can have no symptoms for two to five days or even mild symptoms like fatigue for 14 days. And that is where we're seeing the spread occurring. We are having many more people with walking sick with COVID than with the flu. So there's many more people that are walking around carrying the COVID, walking around sick with COVID um, than they are with flu. Flu is putting people in bed, they're wiped out. COVID, people are having mild symptoms or they're asymptomatic, and so they're spreading it. And that's why the stay-at-home orders has been so important. The other thing that we're lucky with the flu is that we have the flu vaccine. And yes, the flu vaccine is not perfect. Trust me, I've had the flu vaccine. I had it this year, and I still got the flu. But it is better than nothing, and that's what we're seeing with COVID. There is no vaccine right now. 
And so you are able to mitigate some of the effects of flu spread by having people get vaccinated. So we do recommend the flu shot for everyone over the age of 65. But right now there is no COVID vaccine. And so if you do, if we do get the COVID vaccine anytime soon, it would definitely help and would potentially make it less deadly and less likely to spread if we can start vaccinating people. And so that's why COVID is so much worse than the flu. So the next question I get is, do you have any recommendations for taking care of patients um, with dementia and COVID? And this is a tricky one. This is so tricky. So yes, I do have a lot of patients who um, have dementia and on top of that, they're getting COVID. So the first issue I'm seeing with this is that they're very difficult to test. Um, what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to get the sample from them by distracting them. Um, not many people with dementia like to have the swab stuck in their nose. And so that is a tricky part. Um, sometimes we'll do it right before they're going to sleep. So it's a little bit more of a calm time or right when they get out of the shower. So they're distracted, we put music on. Um, so getting testing for dementia patients or patients with dementia has been particularly difficult. When you can't get the testing, sometimes we've actually had issues where staff have been endangered. Um, dementia, patients with dementia have been swatting them, trying to pull out masks. And on those cases, we just kind of have to throw up our hands and say, we're going to treat you as a possible COVID case um, and roll with it. So we try to get testing, but it's not always doable. And we try not to get people, um, staff members endangered by getting testing or pushing testing. The other thing we're seeing a lot with is that seniors with dementia who have COVID are also having a lot of delirium. And this is the same delirium that you'd be seeing any other time with hospitalization or with other infections, even with the flu. So we're seeing a lot of seniors with dementia have delirium. So what do we do? We do not use a lot of drugs. Do not use benzodiazepines. There's no great drugs for treating delirium. The best way to treat delirium in older adults is using non-pharmacological methods. So what does this mean? I love having people being reoriented. Don't worry, mom, you're okay, you're in the right place. And then trying to get them to sleep at night, awake during the day, so no napping during the day. And then allowing them to walk, allowing them to wander, especially if they're in their own home or with a one-on-one -on -one person. Um, letting them walk around sometimes decreases the delirium. And then also using a lot of distraction. So if they're kind of getting agitated about something, move the thought over to something else. Hey, oh, what is that? What's out the window? And then that'll be a great way of distracting them away from the delirium. Other things that we'll do is comforting music, trying to give them calming things to hold on to, things to stroke, things to touch. Um, but like I said, we're seeing a lot of delirium with patients who have dementia and COVID. So that's a tricky thing right now we're dealing with. The next question that we're gonna discuss is that aside from containing the virus, how else does testing symptomatic seniors help as they are presenting classically? So this is a, another question I get is, why should we test seniors when, you know, we have an idea that it's COVID? Well, the thing is that older adults are not all presenting classically. So they're not all presenting with fever, cough, um, and shortness of breath. Many times we're seeing people present with fatigue or mental status changes or GI issues. Um, I've had a couple people that have called me up for urinalysis testing that turned out to be COVID positive. So it is important to establish a diagnosis of COVID just because you need to figure out what their course is gonna look like and how's the best way to treat them. The fourth question I've gotten that we'll talk about is that it seems like most skilled nursing facilities are not able to get testing for staff and patients. Are there any plans to get more universal testing? 
And so many of you guys have seen on the news that skilled nursing facilities are getting particularly hit hard by COVID. And so many people say we need to test more. So is there any plans for more universal testing? My answer is that it's likely going to be determinant on the availability of tests. So I know that most hospitals are getting priority. Most emergency rooms are getting priority, and rightly so. These are people that are very sick that might need to be admitted. Um, Tests in the skilled nursing facility are a multi-level issue right now. Most SNFs or skilled nursing facilities have to find swabs and then also have to figure out how to get them to the testing facility. So like I said, Illinois is the third highest state with COVID in skilled nursing facilities. Chicago skilled nursing facilities are now the third highest in COVID outbreaks. So this changes day by day, um, but we've kind of been lingering around the third um, toughest hit for COVID outbreaks in SNFs and also across the country. So for Illinois, the governor of Illinois announced that the Illinois Department of Public Health would be universally testing healthcare workers in SNFs, skilled nursing facilities, and he sent the National Guard to two skilled nursing facilities to conduct testing. So if you think about Illinois and you think about Chicago, we already have 300 skilled nursing facilities that are positive for COVID. And this is anywhere from two cases to 110 cases. And so while it's an excellent idea, and I do think that there is some value for universal testing, uh, especially in skilled nursing facilities, it's gonna be very hard to implement in the short term. And so the other thing too, is we'd likely have to repeat testing just because it's been a challenge to get true, true positives. Um, and skip on those false negatives and all those other lovely things um, that have been coming around with testing. So another question I get, um, question number five, if a state does not test patients in a skilled nursing facility, then the COVID-19 deaths will be massively underreported. And my answer is yes, yes, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. So absolutely. Uh, Issue that we're seeing a big time is that because we're not always able to get tests, Um, in the skilled nursing facility or long-term care facility, we're not able to identify people dying from COVID. So right now, most states are reporting test positive COVID and not looking at people or not even reporting people who have died with COVID symptoms or COVID suspicions or people uh, with potential COVID. So it is definitely being underreported. Number six, will mandated reporting apply to assisted living as well as long-term care facilities and skilled nursing facilities? So this is a really tricky issue. So skilled nursing facilities are federally regulated. So the Centers for Medicare Services and Medicaid, CMS, actually require mandated reporting. Now it's a little different because assisted living and independent living are not federally regulated. They are private pay. And so because they are private pay, there's, not, there's no federal regulation on assisted living and independent living. And so most, of, most states, states are the ones that are regulating assisted living and independent living. So if you think about the state departments of health, I'm sure most of them are overwhelmed right now. And on top of that, to be going after independent living and assisted living, um, it's a tricky thing. So it depends on state by state regulation um, as far as mandated reporting. So another question I get is, can you talk um, about differences between a low-resourced and a well-resourced long-term care facility, seniors, centers, and SNFs? So how do disparities play into the spread? So uh, it's actually more complicated than high and low resources. So many times people say, oh, it's a, you know, it's a high-end skilled nursing facility in a beautiful neighborhood. 
you know, they should never be getting any COVID cases. And actually, it's, it's much more complicated than that. It's much more complicated. So well, like I said, Medicare is a major payer for SNFs and private pay is a major payer for independent living and assisted living. So most facilities across the nation are for-profit and those run as non-profit or by charitable organizations are very few. So what we saw is during the 2009 financial depression, long-term care facilities were booming and one of the few industries that experienced financial growth and profits. And so what we see many times is that these profits will sometimes go to, you know, financial marketing people and so forth. Um, And so many times these profits or these funds or what people pay into these places are spent on resident amenities. So, you know, the beautiful, you know, attached golf course or dining on fine china. Um, They're spent on resident amenities, um, marketing, etc., because this is what draws people into these places. Um, They want to go to a nice place that looks like a home. And many times, these long-term care facilities spend their money on high-end amenities instead of on infection control. And so there are not many facilities who prioritize infection control up until this COVID crisis. And that's where we're seeing people who have spent time and energy on infection protocols um, to be the ones that are really doing their, you know, tip-top shape. So what are things that skilled nursing facilities are doing? So things that can reduce infections like paid time off for nursing, infection prevention, education for staff. Um, Many times I've been at places where there's not even hand sanitizer available because they want to make it more like a home setting instead of a hospital room. So to answer this question, it is more about how the resources are being spent than it is about how beautiful or, you know, high or low disparity it is. Um, So like if you, you know, have a high-end facility in a fluent suburb that appears beautiful, if the funds are being spent on daily fresh flowers instead of infection prevention, there's going to be some serious effects from COVID. Alternatively, I have been to some really good facilities that are working on shoestring budgets, but they pay their staff well, they skip the shiny marketing brochures, and they fully embrace infection prevention. And while they are not the prettiest, many of those are the COVID-naive ones right now. And so those are the ones that do not have COVID that are doing their best to keep infections out. Those are some of the questions that I've been receiving. Um, We'll keep those questions coming and we can cover them in future podcasts. And I hope you guys are staying strong because we'll get through this. And take care. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.